If you have a Bible with you this morning, or you can open that Bible app, but I want to invite you to join me in Amos chapter 5. Amos chapter 5. Now, it may be a while since you have been in the book of Amos, but I want to help you to find it. And so Amos is one of the minor prophets of the Old Testament. And by minor uh, prophets, that doesn't mean that he was insignificant, but rather what it is that he wrote was a little bit shorter than some of the other prophets and what they wrote, uh, prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah. So Amos is closer to the end of the Old Testament. A few months ago, we studied in the book of Daniel. And if you can find the book of Daniel, then you go just a few books to the right of that, and you'll find Amos. It goes Daniel, Hosea, Joel, and then Amos. And and we're going to be in Amos chapter 5 this morning. And we're going to look at a few verses from that chapter a little later on. While you're finding Amos, I want you to just think about something with me for a moment. On August 28th, 1963, Martin Luther King Jr. gave his now famous I I Have a Dream speech on the uh, steps of the Lincoln Memorial to a crowd of an estimated 250,000 people in Washington, D.C., now, in that speech, he made these ver- this very powerful statement where he said this, We are not satisfied, we will not be satisfied, until justice rolls down like waters and righteousness like a mighty stream. Now, you might be surprised to learn this, but those words did not originate from Dr. King. Uh, They actually come from the Bible. They actually come from the book of Amos, specifically Amos chapter 5 and verse 24. Now, it's very possible, maybe even likely, that all of the years that you have spent in church, you have never heard those words quoted from the scriptures. Let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like a mighty stream. There's a civil rights memorial in Montgomery, Alabama, and we actually have a picture of it here this morning, but this memorial contains a fountain with a thin layer of water that is constantly flowing over the names of 41 people who lost their lives between 1954 and 1968 during the long fight against segregation. And overlooking this fountain is a wall with this phrase that says, until justice rolls down like waters and righteousness like a mighty stream. When you look at that memorial, you'll notice that it doesn't say that those words came from the book of Moses, or from Amos, rather. But it says that that, that memorial, is, it attributes the words to Martin Luther King Jr. And as we said earlier, it wasn't Martin Luther King who said those uh, words originally. They originally came from somewhere else. It's actually the words of God. And these are words that are found in the Bible. Now, maybe you are familiar with those words from Dr. King's speech, but you've never heard anyone talk about them in church. Or maybe you you didn't even know that they came from the Bible. Or maybe today is the first time you've ever heard those words. But, but here is what it says in the ESV, the the Bible translation that we uh, typically preach from here, says this, but let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. 
Perhaps you're, you're not quite sure what those words mean, but you can tell that they express some unfulfilled longing. They, they express a hunger and a thirst for something that remains unsatisfied. There is a hope, a desire for something better. And perhaps you can even begin to feel that hope stirring within you. My desire this morning is that as we explore what this verse is all about, that you will feel that hope within you, a hope for something better. And my prayer is that this hope will begin to impact and define how you live here on this earth. Now, you're probably aware of this, but the world and the culture in which we live in has been struggling and wrestling with this idea of justice in recent months and even in recent years. And this has been a very complex thing because there, is lot, there are lots of injustices in our world. And social media and the news have kind of been a part of putting a magnifying glass on all of these things. We could all sit here this morning and name off a whole long list of injustices that we know of or that we've seen or that we've even experienced. And there is hurt and there is pain. There is frustration and confusion and chaos over all of these things. Our world has tried to define what justice is. Our world has tried to provide solutions for injustice that have and are being experienced. But what we as Christians know is that the world does not have the answers. God has the answers. His word is a guide for us in how we should live as a people who are in this world but not of this world. As the people of God, we have been set apart as God's treasured possession in order to live in this world in such a way that we would bring glory and honor to Him, that we would point people to the life-giving hope that is found in Jesus. And so this morning, we want to take some time to look at what God's Word says about the subject of justice and righteousness. One of the things that we need to know here today is that we need to know what the Bible means when it talks about justice and righteousness. We need to know why God wants justice and righteousness to flow down like an ever-flowing stream. And most of all, we need to know what we can do to help make that happen, what difference will come when we do. Now, Maybe you're here this morning and you are wondering why we should even care about this. Maybe you would rather talk about something like prayer or worship, the plan of salvation, the fruit of the Spirit, but not justice and righteousness. Well, I think it's important for us to see that justice and righteousness aren't just concepts that are on the obscure edges of the Scriptures, but they are core concepts. These are words that describe the very heart of God. And they tell us uh, who we need to, to be if we are going to be a people who follow after God's own heart. Here's how central the concepts, these concepts are in the Bible. The words just and justice appear 300 times in the Bible. The, the words righteous or righteousness appear 500 times in the Bible. So altogether, justice and righteousness are mentioned 800 times in the Bible. Now, it seems to me that if God talks about something 800 times, it must be pretty important. Especially when you compare it to some of the other great themes of the Bible. The Bible talks about love 684 times. It talks about faith 475 times. 
about grace 128 times. It talks about prayer 316 times. The Bible talks about baptism 82 times. But, but, but it, it just talks about, um, uh, ba- uh, it talks about justice and righteousness over 800 times. And so if, if, if there is something that is mentioned that often in the Bible, I think it's a pretty good idea that we should devote our time to understanding what the ideas of justice and righteousness are. Before we continue on here talking about justice and righteousness, though, I, I think it's important for us to get a little bit of an idea about what the book of Amos is all about to kind of understand the context of, of what's happening in Amos. And, and so what I want to do is spend a little time just describing what's going on in the book of Amos. And we have a picture, a map that we're going to put up on the screen. But, but the prophet Amos, he lived I- I- among this group of shepherds in Tekoa. And it's located there at the bottom of the map, about 10 miles south of Jerusalem. Amos makes it clear in his writings that he does not come from a family of prophets, nor does he consider himself to be a prophet. He was a shepherd. He was a farmer from down south in Judah. And Amos's connection to the simple life of people made, it, it made its way into the center of his prophecies as he shows a heart for the vulnerable and the voiceless in the world. Now, what's interesting is that even though Amos lived and grew up in the southern kingdom of Judah, he delivered his prophecies against the northern kingdom of Israel and the surrounding nations, which led to many of the Israelites pridefully resisting what he had to say, and many of them just kind of blowing him off. Jeroboam was the king in Israel during the time of Amos, and Israel did very well economically under the reign of Jeroboam. But at the same time, there was a moral decay that was occurring among the people and among the leaders of the nation. Like most of the prophets, uh, Amos delivers some pretty hard words from the Lord, Amos's words are directed at the people of Israel, and he talks to them about how they have been taking advantage of the weak, not loving their neighbor, and only looking out for their own interests. More than that, any, more, more than any of the other books of the Bible, the book of Amos holds people accountable for mistreating others. It, it repeatedly points out the failures of people who, uh, full, who uh, fully embrace their their own ideas, but they don't embrace the ideas of God when it comes to justice and righteousness. They are selling off needy people to gain wealth for themselves. They're taking advantage of the helpless. They are oppressing the poor. They are participating in all sorts of immorality. They had all of this economic success, but they had forgotten to take care of each other. And Amos is writing as God's mouthpiece, as God's spokesman, in order to address these things and to point people back to the ways of God. Now, As we've said, a big theme throughout the Bible, but specifically in the writings of the prophets, and more particularly in the book of Amos, is this idea of justice and righteousness. And and I think that it is important for us to see a a, a better understanding of these words. But here is the first thing that we need to know about these two words, that in the Bible, justice and righteousness are pretty much synonyms, that they are basically meaning the same thing. 
There's really only slight differences in the meaning between these two words. In fact, you will often find them being used side by side, like here in Amos chapter 5 and verse 24, where it says, But let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Amos is saying the same thing, but, but he is putting it in two different ways. Both justice and righteousness should flow from and among and out of God's people like an ever-flowing stream. We see it in other places in the scriptures as well, but uh, an example of this is Genesis chapter 18 and verse 19, where God says this about Abraham. He says, For I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the ways of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. In 1 Kings chapter 10 and verse 9, the queen of Sheba says this about Solomon. She says, Blessed be the Lord your God who has delighted in you and set you on the throne of Israel. Because the Lord loved Israel forever, he has made you king, that you may execute justice and righteousness. Psalm chapter 72 and verse 2, Solomon says this about God's king. He says, may he judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. Psalm chapter 89 and verse 14, the psalmist says this about God, Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Steadfast love and faithfulness go before you. Now, we could keep going. We could read many more verses uh, like these. But altogether, there are over 30 passages in the scriptures that connect these ideas of righteousness and justice together. So what exactly do these two words mean? Most of the time when we talk about being uh, someone uh, who is righteous, we mean that they are a good person, that they're doing what is right, that they're living in the way that God wants them to live. And that's certainly uh, part of what it is to be just or righteous in the Bible. But but there's a lot more to it than just that. Someone, sometimes in the Bible, um, righteousness refers to a person's integrity. A a, a righteous person is someone who tells the truth. They they don't take bribes. They don't steal. They keep their promises. Other times, the idea of righteousness has to do with fairness and equity in relationship to the law. We see this in places like Deuteronomy chapter 16 and verse 19, where God says to Israel... You shall not pervert justice, you you shall not show partiality, and you shall not accept a bribe, for a bribe binds the eyes of the wise and subverts the cause of the righteous. God says that the righteous are concerned about justice, and when, when you pervert justice and you don't treat people fairly in the courtroom, then you subvert or you undermine the cause of the righteous. But the deepest and most common idea of a righteous person in the Bible isn't being a decent person who doesn't lie or steal or take bribes. It is a person who actively goes out of their way in order to stand up for the needy and the vulnerable and to make sure that they're taken care of. We see this in places like Job chapter 29. 
There, Job is this righteous man, and he says that righteousness covered him like a robe, and he wrote justice like a turban around his head. Then he gives this evidence for why it is that he says that he is this righteous man. And in Job chapter 29 and verses 15 through 17, this is what he says. I was eyes to the blind and feet to the lame. I was a father to the needy, and I searched out the cause of him who, did not, who I did not know. I broke the fangs of the unrighteous and made him drop his prey from his teeth. Job says that he was righteous because he stood with those who were in need, the widows and the orphans, those who were poor and oppressed, and he was righteous because he stood up against anyone who messed with them, which is what the Bible means when it talks about righteousness. What about the word justice? We, we normally think of justice in terms of punitive justice, which is focusing on inflicting punishment for breaking laws. And, and we all want justice when someone hurts us, don't we? I mean, if the bad guy gets what's coming to him and he gets thrown into jail, we call that justice. And that's why we refer to our courts as a justice system. And that's part of what the Bible means when it talks about justice, but there's a whole lot more to it than just that. Justice isn't just something that you do to clean up a mess after something bad has happened. It is actively working to correct situations that hurt and harm people, and it is promoting situations where people aren't hurt and harmed. It is making sure that anyone who has been mistreated, is taken care of. It is helping those who are in need. All of that is to say that justice in the Bible isn't just punitive justice that punishes the wicked. More often, it is a restorative justice that works on behalf of those who are less fortunate in order to restore worth and dignity and productivity to life in a community. We see this in Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 17. It says there, Learn to do good, seek justice, uh, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. Psalm chapter 82 and verses 3 and 4 say this, Give justice to the weak and the fatherless, maintain the right of the afflicted and the, dis- and the distressed, um, rescue the weak and the needy, Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. Psalm 146 and verses 7 through 9 say that our God is a God who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry, and that the Lord sets the prisoner free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless, but the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. So when, when the Bible talks about righteousness and justice, it doesn't just mean being a nice person and putting bad guys in jail. It, it means that God's people are out in the world and they are actively promoting good and helping the needy and the vulnerable. And the Old Testament specifically mentions the poor, the orphan, the widow, and the foreigner. And I'm sure that there are other categories of people that you could think of as well who we could stand up with and stand up for. God expects all people 
to do those things, but specifically he expects his people to do this. That's what uh, Micah chapter 6 and verse 8 is saying. When When we read this, he has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. In the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5 and verse 6, Jesus gives this blessing to those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Now, in light of what, what it is that we've been reading here about righteousness and justice, I, think, I don't think that Jesus just meant that we're supposed to have this deep desire to want to be nicer people. What he's talking about is having a deep desire to truly be righteous people. To be a people who want to see the wrongs righted, who want to see the hungry fed, uh, the abused protected, people who want to reflect God in this world. Also in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33, Jesus tells us, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. That our primary focus is to promote God's kingdom and His righteousness. The kingdom of God is what God is doing through us, through you and through me as individuals, and through the church as a group to bring healing and hope and peace into this dark world. When our first desire is God's kingdom, then our hearts will want the same thing that God's heart wants, which is to see those who are wandering find their way home, to see the neglected taken care of, to see the broken hearts healed. And when we do that, we will open our hearts and our lives and maybe even our tables and our wallets to let God do those things through us. Because that's what God wants from us, justice and righteousness. He wants justice to roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. As God's people, we are called to let God work through us. And it begins when our hearts long for the same healing and wholeness that God longs for. Because when that happens, then we will yield our lives to God and we will let justice and righteousness flow through us. Now, I think that at times it can be difficult to have a good balance between theology and practice, between what it is that we know and what it is that we do. And at times we can find ourselves deeply caring about all the things that are going on inside the walls of this church, but caring very little about what is happening outside the walls of this church in our neighborhood, our cities, and in our world. In the 40 plus years that I've been alive, I've seen people battle over worship styles, whether it be uh, uh, what, what kind of, uh, whether we sing praise songs or hymns, uh, what kind of instruments we use, what, whether we should use media in our services. Um, there have been uh, battles about how to take the Lord's Supper and whether we should clap or raise our hands or not. There are, is a lot of debate that has happened over the years, uh, particularly as it com- when it comes to the kind of worship that we do, the form of worship that we take in the church. And, and I do believe that we need to get our worship right. We need to do it the way that God would want us to do it. We, we really need to do that. But uh, I want you to see here what Amos would say to these people who were worshiping well in his day. 
They had all of the details of worship down. They, they were presenting all of the right sacrifices. They were praising God week after week with these beautiful words of praise. And yet, I want you to see what God says to them in Amos chapter 5 and verses 21 through 23. Your Bible's open in front of you, and here's what God, through Amos, says. He says, I hate, I despise your feast, and I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them, and the peace offerings of your fattened calves, I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs. To the melody of your harps, I will not listen. Here the people of Israel are doing all the right things in their worship. They are following the laws of Moses. They are worshiping God the way that he had told them to worship. They they were observing all of the feast days. They were bringing their offerings. And they were making this beautiful music. But then... Suddenly, Amos, this pastor, this, this farmer rather, this farmer from down south, he walks into the worship service and he says this, you know what, I need to tell you something. Listen, God hates this. God despises what it is that you're doing here. And, and I'm sure that their initial reaction would be to say, well, what's God's problem? I mean, doesn't God want his people to worship him? Isn't that what the church is supposed to do? And this is where verse 24 comes in. And it says... But let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. In Amos' time, the songs and the prayers of God's people all sounded off-key to God's ears. Because they poured out a flood of prayers and offerings and songs of praise to God. But justice and righteousness did not fill their lives or flow out of them like an ever-flowing stream. In other words, God's telling them, You know what, if you're not going to live any differently than the rest of the world, if you're not going to care about those who are needy and stand up for those who are mistreated, then don't expect me to be impressed with any of the beautiful worship that is coming out of your mouths as you come together on the Sabbath. The problem was is that their worship had become inwardly focused. It had become passive and not active. Maybe their primary goal was just getting the worship right of kind of checking off all the boxes. Maybe they had this tunnel vision and, and where, where they would get together for these times of worship. And when they did, they forgot all about their sins. They forgot about their problems. They forgot about their struggles. And when they did that, they forgot about the suffering world that was going on outside of their assembly. Which makes me wonder about us. I wonder if there are times... When God wants to say to Christians gathered in church buildings on Sunday mornings, I hate what you're doing. Even though you take the Lord's Supper together, I won't accept it. I I won't pay any attention to your prayers or the songs that you sing. I hate it all because you're so concerned about yourselves and getting your worship right. But but then you you go and you get in your fancy cars and you uh, drive to your fancy houses and you don't give any thought to those who are around you who are in need. You don't stand up for those who are being ignored and maligned and walked all over. But let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Friends, whenever God's people lose focus, we, f- we lose focus on the needs of the world around us. The word of God always calls us to pursue justice and righteousness. 
One of the ways that we could understand what the, what the word of God means by this is that justice means not just us. Let me say that again. Justice means not just us. That God calls his people to look outside of ourselves to see the poor, to see the widow, to see the oppressed, the, the, the foreigner, the, the orphan. To let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream means to understand that God has put his church in this world so that we could bring peace and healing and restoration to others through us. It's not about us, or at least it's not just about us. And so what difference would this make if we would truly hunger and thirst for justice and righteousness? Maybe we would begin to pursue people and pursue relationships outside the walls of, these, uh, of this church, these four walls, that we would pursue relationships that we wouldn't normally pursue after. Maybe it would add depth to our prayer lives or energize our worship because we we'd understand that, that what happens inside the building on Sunday mornings isn't the only thing that matters. We would know that our time of worship is really meant to nourish us and encourage us and transform us so that we can go out into the world around us and to be the people of God that, that would um, work through um, work to bring blessing and healing and restoration to our neighbors, our nations, and our world. Maybe like Martin Luther King Jr., we too would have a dream. Maybe we would have lots of dreams stirred up by God's Spirit working within us and among us. And we would work to help heal the wounded, to, bring, to, to meet the needs, the physical needs of people around us, to provide safe spaces for those who are abused, to comfort those who are suffering, to extend friendship to those who have been forgotten. We would be on the lookout for those who have been left behind. We would uh, not put up with bullies or those who are abusive. We, we would not um, uh, do, make peace with anyone or any circumstance that hurt people instead of healed them. And then, and only then, would justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. You know, in many ways, our culture is an absolute mess. We should not be surprised by any of that when people walk in their own wisdom, in their own strength, and not in God's. It's going to be a mess. But God has spoken. He has called for real justice and righteousness to flow through us as his people. The great thing is that we, we, we don't do this all alone, but God is with us as we go out into the world as God's answer to the world that is in need, a world that is crying out for help. And as we go, may God's will be done here on earth just as it is in heaven. And listen, the purpose of us going is not just so that we can go meet the physical needs of people around us, but the point of going is ultimately that we would point people to God, that we would allow God to draw them to himself in order to meet their deepest need, in order to meet their spiritual needs. Because the greatest need that anyone has is their need for God, their need for their sins to be forgiven and to have a relationship restored with him. As we live out justice and righteousness in our lives, people will begin to see God's transformational work within us and they will be drawn to that. 
Maybe even this morning as we close our time here together, you're listening to this and you are feeling God pulling you to himself. Not just to meet your physical needs, but to meet your spiritual needs. So that you could find forgiveness and freedom. Find a new kind of life and hope, joy and peace. Maybe this morning you know that it is time to confess your sins and to experience real life with the Savior of the world. The Bible says that if the Son has set you free, you will be free indeed. And so, if you want to experience that freedom today that is found in Jesus Christ in Him alone, I want to encourage you to come talk to me or talk to Pastor Eden, talk to one of our elders, talk to your parents, a friend who brought you to church, and we would love to talk with you more about what it means to experience God's loving kindness, His grace and His mercy in a very real way. In fact, friend, today is the day of salvation. A day when you can begin to experience God's life-giving power flowing in and through you. Let's pray.